If you turn there with me. We're going to read from 18 of chapter 2. So the epistle of John, not the gospel, the epistle of John. Towards the back of the Bible there. I'm going to read verse 18 of chapter 2. And we're going to read to verse 27. So 18 to 27. Of course, we dealt with a few verses uh, following this a few weeks ago. And therefore, we go on to this uh, particular portion, which offers great challenge, offers great encouragement. And, um, you know, this, this whole epistle really is for the assurance of salvation. As we read through it, it says this to you or to me. Yes, I belong to Christ. Or actually, no, I don't. And that's the purpose of this series. Where do we stand before a holy God? Little children, verse 18. It is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come... Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son... The same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. Verse 26, these things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. There we have the reading And the passage that we will pick from today and and work through. And there is so much that we could not cover it in in, in a lifetime. We hear so much in those nine verses that bring us great courage and great encouragement. They bring us questions. There we display, I believe, the work of the Trinity the work of the Father, the work of the Son, the working of the Spirit. We hear the word Father, we hear the word Son, we hear the word anointing. There we have the Trinity. And if we don't have a Trinity, if we don't have that God, we do not have God. 
And much of this letter is dealing with that issue. Much of the background of why John wrote this is because actually, which I'll touch on it a little bit later, is actually that the person of Christ was being denied that it actually came in the flesh. And that if he did come in the flesh, it was only, only to be presumed that he only seemed to have died. Already, and I think this would be around A.D. 70 to A.D. 90, that's the period of time, but possibly and potentially this letter was written. But already error had crept in the church. You see, we, I, we seem to have this uh, thought that it's just, it's just happened, that, that error has just manifested, that, there's all, that, that, that error is just taking place. Let us not be so ignorant, if I can say that, that actually error crept in. And again, we'll see that early on, some of the warnings that that uh, Paul the Apostle said to those at Ephesus. Wherever there is the real and the genuine, and I pray that the Spirit of God will enable you to hear this, whenever there is the real and genuine, there will always be the counterfeit. Read any revival. There will always be excess. There will always be error. There will always be heresy. Yes, friends, within the church. And this is why this letter, in part, was written to the believers here. So let's start at the top, that being verse 18. I said to you some, some weeks and probably even months ago now, that when, when, when um, the Apostle John says, my little children, that is an affectionate term. This is an endearment. This is, this is possibly John saying... Um, to those who he may have nurtured, who he'd brought up in the law, that they were his children. But he goes on and he says, it is the last time. It is the last time. Maybe if you're familiar with church life, Christian life, have you ever noticed that everyone in Christianity is an expert on this subject? Everybody is an expert. Oh, we're in the last days for sure. I think Christ will return in my lifetime. Probably said it, haven't we? We're probably sitting there thinking, well, that's what I think. Maybe so. Books after books. Opinions after opinions. Movies even of what we would say the last times, or the posh term, the, the theological term, would be eschatology. The last things. We've all heard it said, oh, we are in the last days. We must be careful. I must be careful, friends. Not to make silly predictions. Not to make dogmatic assertions and certainly and we have seen and experienced sadly false claims regarding this doctrine the issue of eschatology if we were to be honest if we were to go around even this room there would be a varying view and an opinion mine might vary from yours 
And it's a huge subject. And I want to say to you, it should come with no display of arrogance. It should come with no display at times, even with great certainty. And I believe that those people who have been arrogant, those people who have made silly predictions and false claims that this has done the church or the Christian faith no good at all. We must be careful, as I've already said, not to fall into dogmatic views. Sure in what we believe, yes, nor fall into dogmatic opinions. So then, the last time, or it may say in your translation, the last hour. Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, calls it the latter times. Peter, in, the, in 2 Peter 3, he calls it the last days. Jude, verse 18 of Jude, of course, only one chapter there. He calls it a last time. The last time. What then is this last time or this last hour? It is this age. It is this age. It is the time period between the coming of Christ and his return. Or you could say his ascension and his return, however you would see that. This age and the age to come. You might know it is my view that when them skies open on that last day, that is it. I believe we are in the millennial age now. Again, that is a, my view and certainly up for discussion. The time period between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And we all believe, do we not, that Christ shall return and take his people. And that is the pinnacle. That is the important part that Christ is coming and the bigger question is, is there a millennium? Are we in the millennium? Are you pre-trib or post-trib and all the rest of it? We could talk until we're grey-haired. Yeah, there was. But the reality is this, friends. The most important thing is this. Are you ready for that great day? Are you ready to meet with your maker? Are you ready for those skies to open and for the Christ to return? Paul goes on and he uses the word there, Antichrist. Antichrist, I believe it's the only time we hear that said in the New Testament. He tells us of an Antichrist shall come. As you've heard, that Antichrist shall come. Again, everybody has an opinion on this. Everybody is an expert on this.
I had a phone call once, some years ago, and this lady was absolutely certain she had had a dream and she was ringing to tell me that Barack Obama was certainly the Antichrist. This is the silliness that we see. This is the silliness that has done damage to this. We, so many people and so many churches avoid talking about these things in some sense to their defense that we ought to deal with it because there's been so much craziness about the issue. It's done only damage and we don't know our arm from our hand. John makes it clear as it does all over the New Testament, and in fact, Old Testament, that Antichrist shall come. He shall come. I'm sure you would join me this morning. Whatever, wherever we put periods of time, pre or post or mid or whatever it is, we will agree with this. That the scripture tells us clearly that at the latter part of the age, the Antichrist will appear and he will be revealed. It ought to be a fearful thing. Yet I don't know, if you're born of his spirit, there's something pretty exciting about it as well. So be clear, we are in the last days. But be clear, so was the Apostle John. Are we one step closer? Well, even before I started speaking, we were 20 minutes ago. We're ever one step closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day he shall appear. And one day, friends, he will take those who are his. That's for sure. That's for certain. And the, you know what is as, is as certain? Is the Antichrist shall appear. But we know this, and this is what worries me the most, friends. He will come with signs and lying wonders. But we also know this. Yet we know that the Lord shall consume and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Oh, we have the victory. The end is written. Christ is the Christ. And Christ is the victory. But today, though we could spend so much more time on that, I think it would be better actually in a study rather than coming just from here. But today, we're not going to say, stay with the singular word Antichrist. What do I mean? Or why? Because the text doesn't. The text that we're dealing with does not. He moves on. Verse 18, little children, it is the last time. And ye shall have heard that Antichrist shall come. Then the apostle goes on and says, even now are there many Antichrists? 
plural. Plural. More than one. In fact, I think the text gives enough qualification to tell us there are many, many antichrists. Even now, there are many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. This qualifies the reality that we are very much in the last time. Why? Because there are antichrists. The Christ has come. The saviour of the world has come. He has revealed himself to us and to his people. Now we're in a time where there is antichrists. Antichrists. John makes it clear, doesn't he? There is a time, as we've already addressed, a time ahead, a time that I don't know, and a time that you do not know, and a time that your friend does not know, or your neighbour does not know. There is a time coming where the Antichrist shall come. He will appear. He will appear. But do not be mistaken, friends. There are antichrists here now. Now. Now when we think of antichrists, in fact, when I've thought of those things, we think of Hitler. We think of Pol Pot. We think of Saddam Hussein. I was talking with a brother earlier. We think of those and that evil dynasty and regime up in North Korea. Evil dictatorship. Some of you have seen them come, and you've seen them go. And you'll see them come, and you will see them go. Many more regimes, not only singular, but governments... Antichrist, yes. These are evil men. These are evil agendas. Men who dictate and rule only with pure and evil motives. Or pure, rather, evil motives. Their agenda is evil. Their agenda is self. Their agenda is their own ends. And I will not make too much of a footnote because you have heard it from me. But I say to you today, be very aware. Be very, very aware. For we today are dealing with a system that is a beastly system. Of course, these regimes, these, these dictators... You may have many more in your mind. I can't list them all. Yes, they are evil men. and They do dictate with only evil motives. Antichrist to the very core. But if we only concentrate on them, we find ourselves straying from what this text is saying. So the context is very important. The context of this scripture 
And as I have often, and Russell in particular says, if I'm preaching to you today from 1 John 2 verse 18, I would go away and read the whole epistle. Not only once, but twice. Grab, the, grab it. In fact, you know, one thing I've learned to do over the last few years is get some, somebody good who will give you a historical background to the epistle. To tell you why it was written. To tell you what was going on then. Find out why it was written. It helps you, friends. It helps you to understand why the, the, the way in what he is writing is not just because he had this thought on a sunny afternoon. It is vitally important. Context is huge. So if we were only to concentrate on those men, those antichrists, yes, in many ways that they were and are, we would drift away from the text if we were only to concentrate on those things alone. And let us then give reason for that from what we read. John makes it clear that there are antichrists, many who he refers to, that are here now amongst us. Amongst us. They were there. They were there in the congregation of God's people. Verse 19. What qualifies that? What qualifies me to say to you this morning that they were there? Well, first of all, I think it's pretty clear. And then John qualifies it by saying, they went out from us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. So who are they? The they. Well, if you join me and read that, to me it's very clear who the they were. The they were the Antichrists, plural, to who he is referring to. They went out from us, for they're not, they were not of us. They were not of us. The they of verse 19 are the Antichrist of verse 18. I say it again that these Antichrists were in and amongst the congregation of God's people. That ought to cause you to stiffen up, to listen, to be mindful, to be watchful. And I say it again, and I will say it maybe again next week. If we are not men and women of the word of God, we will be drawn into all sorts of error. It's all right me or Russell or any other God-given preacher to stand before you and tell you. But you have got to be people of the word of God. Because I could be telling you anything right now. Be diligent. Be wise. And don't just do it when you feel like you want to do it because six days out of seven you might not want to do it. Be in the word of God. It is his vehicle to teach us. And we've got to be wise. We've got to be wise. Who were then? Or who are the antichrists to which John is telling us about? What are they like? What do they do? How do they behave? Why is it that John can call them antichrists? You see, sadly, 
the church or Christians today, we think that they're going to come through the door in red capes and pointy ears. That's what we think. It's going to be obvious. We'll know who they are. Oh, friends, though there is, of course, some humor in it, it carries with it great seriousness and great warning. Don't be deceived. These people come into the church well-dressed, lovely spoken, kind as they come, even familiar with church life, familiar with the Christian life, and I dare say even familiar with the Word of God. We're talking about that. This is the danger. This is the danger that we are all in. Do not be deceived. How do you know that a fig tree is a fig tree? The answer is that it bears figs. How do we know that an apple tree is an apple tree? The answer is it gives apples. You say, what's shocked me, I think, over the last 12 months is that we're surprised by it. That's what shocks me the most. That we're surprised by it. And what shocks me more is that the church thinks that the evil system that we belong to, nevertheless the 12 months, forever, think like they do. We expect a government to make U-turns on decisions that are godly decisions. Friends, it ain't going to happen. Not in the way you and I might think. It amazes me that that, that we're shocked by all what's happened. It amazes me that that the LGBT issue, we think that it's going to go away. My friends, it's going to speed up quick. It's going to go on and on to more perversity. Even the tragedy that happened with the lady in London who was murdered is quickly moving into an evil political movement. And it's terrible, friends. Terrible. But it is, it is spoke as if it is good. And it's not good. Because it's anti-Christ. We do address something much closer to home this morning. Jesus himself tells us, when we talk about being deceived, maybe some of us say, no, no, not me, I'm one of the elect. I would say if you have that view, it's quite possibly you're not. Jesus himself, again, to qualify what I'm saying, I speak Of what Christ himself comes. And you will have heard this no doubt throughout your whole Christian life. If you've been around church. Matthew 24 verse 24 says this. For there shall arise false Christs. False Christs. I say it again. False Christs. Let me pause saints. 
We've all had that, seen that, maybe throughout all generations. Somebody in the, the West or somebody in the East, rather, has, has come and said he's the Christ. He's got a long dressing gown on and he's got long hair and he's got a beard. Do you think that that's the, what this is saying? No, no. No, that's just, that's just silly at best. You could open the first verses of the genealogy of, of, of Christ and that's why they're there. You can disprove that within five minutes. That actually, this is the lineage of Christ. This is who he was born from. This is where he came from. You, my friend, are just a guy in a dressing gown. So let us be broader-minded and let us think more detailed than that. There is much going on in so-called Christianity today, right now, that is done in the name of Christ. And much, as the day approaches, friends, as that day approaches, much of it is counterfeit. And it's done in the name of Christ. False Christ. It's not the Christ of the Bible. What does read read the book to the Galatians? He warns of other gospels. False prophets. Those who stand professing to come from God. And I'm not just talking about thus saith the Lord, by no means. But those who stand in pulpits. And preach what they call is a gospel, which is not a gospel. They, my friends, whether we like to see, admit it, or deal with it, are false prophets. And they are increasing by the number. Shall grow. Shall show, sorry. Great signs and wonders. They'll be able to do good and right things. I want to say to you, I believe right now, whatever our view is, we can talk about that as brethren. We can talk about that as ones who are covered in the blood. And we can even disagree on the periods and the times. But if I'm going to have a conversation with you, it's going to be for your edification, not to argue. But be sure of this, the scripture is very clear. It will come with wonders, great signs. What is this world waiting for today? I think the stage, yes, is set for somebody to come along with the answer. And the way that Christians have behaved, and I am in some sense apologetic to say this, believe it or not. Believe, I believe that the way in which some Christians have behaved over the last 12 months will be sucked right in. Because there's a constant bowing to Nebuchadnezzar. Let us again finish the verse. That if it were possible, be encouraged, saints, if it were possible. It's not. But if it were... The emphasis there is to say, look how close this is. Look how close these things are. Look how that Antichrist does come. 
lying and deceiving than if it were possible even the very elect. So no, that door, though it's opened quite a few times this morning, we thank God for that, don't we? The Antichrist isn't going to walk here with a red cape and pointy ears, friends. He's going to come here and he's going to divide, divide the flock by false doctrines and counterfeit actions that look like the real thing. And if you're not in the word of God, if you are not a people who are on the knee in prayer, you could be deceived. You could be deceived. Paul warns the elders at Ephesus, doesn't he? Acts 20, turn to it. Acts 20, and we'll read 28, from verse 28. Just the three verses, 28, 29, and 30. This is the Apostle Paul warning those, or, or speaking, yeah, to those at Ephesus, the elders there, who are giving to you. We had a, we had a, a shared a video by Brother Jeremy, a friend of ours, who's in one way, shape, or form, come very close to us here, though at a distance. He talked about honouring those who are over you. We've all been talking about honouring the government, but what about honouring those who are over you? And that's not from a dictatorial position. If you have a shepherd who serves you, honour him. Honour him and love him and support him and pray for him. That's biblical and that's right and that's good. Paul warns those elders who are given to look over your souls. They're given, friends, to look over your souls. What a privilege. What a privilege. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. We could digress here, couldn't we? But I won't. To feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. Listen to this. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves. It's more difficult to read, doesn't it? Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. Why? To draw away disciples after them. Friends, this is the age in which we live. We could talk of cults. We could all name one. We could all think of one. Some of us have had experience of these things. And I'm going to say something which is dangerous. But I believe much of the so-called evangelical church today is turning into a cult. They've been deceived. There's our answer, you see. Who are these antichrists? False teachers who are there and try to worm their way into 
the church of Christ. Are we to worry about Hitler's and all the things arising? Yeah, we ought to worry in, it, in its right sense, worrying. But our greater concern should be for the flock and the house of God. Because friends, and I call you friends because you are my friends. They have crept in and they are very much established and they have their feet under the table. And I want to tell you this with all my heart and with as much emphasis, I can tell you that there are no shepherds telling them to go. No men telling them. We've forsaken the word of God. We've forsaken being full of the spirit. Joshua was bold. Why? Because the spirit of God was upon me, upon him. A brother asked me the other day, what do you want, what do you want me to pray for? That the Lord would give me boldness. We need boldness. And I said it when we talked dealing about the children some weeks ago. Men be men. We've got to be men again. This is not just the pastor's or the elder's role. But it's your role as men over your household. Be men. We'll talk about you ladies at the end. Be men. Ah, oh, well, I don't want to feel like it. I'll, I'll play FIFA tonight. You know what? Some of us, we've got to grow up. We've got to grow up. And we've got to get busy doing what God has called us to do. You've got to forsake your childish ways. And we've got to get busy being men before God for the sake of our families and for the sake of God and for his church. So false teachers, friends, have come in amongst the church and right now are causing havoc. But not only false teachers, false believers. That's why so many of them, maybe still of us, still do wonder about this issue of, uh, I'll give it the old terminology, the perseverance of the saints, which means that you are eternally saved. That once you are born of his spirit, washed in his blood, once you have been transferred from darkness into his glorious life, you today have eternal life. But because of the nonsense... Because we have seen, even amongst us, have we not seen people seemingly fall away from the faith? My friends, they went out from us because they were not of us. I'm sorry to say that so bluntly, but it is true. So Antichrist... Who is Antichrist? Oh, thank God the Apostle helps us. Verse 22 of 1 John chapter 2. Please, will you turn to it? Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. Who is he? What is he? He is Antichrist. That's what the Apostle John tells us. He that denieth the Father and the Son. Again, remember who this is wrote to and why they are writing it. There were men 
There were folk, there were women there denying that the Christ had come in the flesh. So it had to be addressed then. And this doctrine was growing. If you go again to 2 John, just very quickly, flip over a few pages, 2 John makes this question easier to answer. Who are then the Antichrist? We've dealt with dictators. We've dealt with those who are clearly Antichrist. Those who are uh, dictating and have evil agendas. But, But the apostle here deals with it much, much broader, much more deeper. So 2 John, verse 7. This qualifies what I'm trying to teach and speak to you about this morning. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. One John four. Again, you see. I hope that what you're doing here is seeing actually the context gives us the answers. It helps us. One John chapter four, verses two and three. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. This is very much amongst us. This is very much in the church. There is a spirit, if you like, of Antichrist. And if you are of the Spirit of God, you will detect it. You will know it. You see, anyone who says Christ did not come in the flesh, he wasn't born of the virgin womb. If anybody says that, it's the Spirit of Antichrist. It's the Spirit of Antichrist. I've already addressed this, but let me mention it again. This was happening at the time that John wrote this letter. In fact, one of the reasons John did write this letter, false teachers had come in to deny the incarnation. Had come in to deny the incarnation. That means born in the flesh. That Christ had not come in the flesh. That Christ had only appeared to be human and only appeared to have died. Let me tell you, that, my friends, has to be blasphemy. Has to be blasphemy. I repeat again John's words. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Why the, why, why the sentence? Why the, why the dramaticness of, of what John is saying? He is saying this is a deceiver. I mean, I would also digress just for a moment that we're not, we as a church today, generally, we're kind of not willing to make them statements. We've become afraid of saying these things. 
But let me say to you, if you deny, if anybody denies that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, you are a deceiver and the spirit of Antichrist is upon you. Or in you. So why the sentence? Why such dramaticness? Why does the Apostle John make it certain what these people are? Deceiver and an antichrist? Really? Yes, really. My friends, if it is denied that Christ came, did not come in the flesh, what do we not have? We have no atonement. We have no lamb. We have no sacrifice. If we have no atonement, we have no sacrifice for sin. No sacrifice for sin. We have no salvation. We have no salvation. There is no reconciliation with God. To say that Christ didn't come in the flesh, I am convinced, is to attack the very heart of the gospel. And indeed, as John does address, you call God a liar. This is the root of the issue. This is the attack on the gospel. And let us not be so narrow-minded, if you like, to think that this is not happening in our day. It is very much happening in our day, but it doesn't come as clear and as obvious as one might think. It comes up dressed up as a believer. It comes up one dressed up as a preacher. That's how it comes. And we have got to be wise. Let me put it another way. Simply. No incarnation. No virgin birth. No virgin birth. No Christ. No Christ. No death. No death of the Christ. No resurrection. No resurrection. No eternal life. Do you see, friends, this morning, that these beliefs are an attack on the very gospel of Christ and are causing today great damage amongst God's people. If we deny this, we deny the Father, we belong and have the spirit of Antichrist. It's what happens with these people, these false believers, if you like. They look like believers. Let us not... Be mistaken by that. They look like believers. And we as a a, a local church should know these things. We've experienced these things. What happens to such? Well, let's read verse 19 of John chapter 1, John chapter 2 context to which we're looking at. They went out from us. If they had been, forgive me, I'll begin that again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. You see, there's some damage also that I want to address with this verse. And the context of this verse, as you've heard me say already, 
is hugely, hugely important. This is not a verse to throw at everybody who leaves a church. Okay? That is completely and utterly wrong. This is not so well, they've been with us and now they've gone, well, they were not of us. That would be misusing that text. That is not what the Apostle John is saying. This is, this is not a verse to throw at everybody who comes in and actually didn't make a home amongst you. They actually went somewhere else. You know what, that's okay. Yet, and rightly... There's a time where you've got to leave the church. You have to go. You have to leave. People leave churches for right reasons. To find a gospel, Christ-centered church. To flee, actually, from the very things to which we're speaking of today. To flee from that continual error and heresy. Then, friends, you have got to pack your bags. And sadly, though it is painful, though it is grieving, though it is tiring, though actually it's the last thing you want to do, you have to go. Because the gospel is at stake. Gospel and Christ's name is at stake. I have to say that. So again, to repeat, this is not to throw at every man and his dog who actually don't make their home in a church. But it is for those who went out from us because they were not of us. They went out from us. Who are the us? Who are the us of this verse? To put it simply, it is those who are born of his spirit. It's those who are Christians. The people who have and know that they are sinners. That's the us. Who confess their sins. Who know the need of a saviour, an advocate. They need to call out upon that Christ who is, as John tells us, the propitiation for our sins. They are the us of this context. One who needs to continue in the light and forsake darkness as the apostle addresses who love his commandments. Who love, yes, one another. And we'll get to that later in this, this uh, epistle again. Love one another. Love one another. One, the others are ones who behave that way. Or at least desire to be that. And the others are those who have fellowship with God. The us, my friends, is God's people. The us is the unity of Christ and his people. That is the us. And those who go out from us are those who don't want to know about an incarnate son. Those who don't want to hear of sin and of repentance. Those who don't want to hear about the atonement. The need of repentance. The need of the shed of blood. They look like they do. But when it boils down to it, they don't want to hear about the second coming and the day of judgment. And out they go from us. 
And in reality, so often, they were not of us. We have to deal with this very carefully. We have to deal with these texts very carefully. Because as much good they ought to do, they have also done unnecessary damage. You see, these people, these people who are not believers, these false teachers even, Believe me, and I'm sure that you know this, they will be found out in the light of the gospel. They will be found out in the light of the truth of his gospel. My friends, this is the problem that was going on then, and this is the problem that is very much going on today. False teachers, men who are in pulpits who have no authority to be in pulpits. And I'm not talking about a qualification from a college. I'm talking about God's chosen vessels to preach His gospel. And the result is when the gospel is preached, and they cannot hear it anymore, They go out from us, for they were not of us. They belonged to something else. Hard, yet must be said and must not be avoided. We could have easily gone past that verse, but we must not. Again, it deserves so much more time, so much more detail. But I'm bringing this to you today for warning, I trust for great encouragement. What about you, friends? What about you this morning? Have you bowed the knee to Christ? We've heard it said over weeks, haven't we? And maybe some of you may go home and say, why are we keep being asked that? Because we are dealing with eternity. Because one day you will stand before the Holy God. Because one day you will meet your Maker. And it will be one of two things that he will say. He will say, depart from me, you who have loved wickedness, or come in good and faithful servant. That's why today I am qualified to ask you that question. What about you? Have you bowed the knee to this Christ of the Bible? Not to another. Not to another. But this Christ of the Bible. You see, verse 27, as we begin to, to sum up this morning... And we could pick on so much more. But the, the anointing which you have received of him that abideth in you. Have you received the anointing? Now to some ears that might, might, you might think I'm asking you some kind of charismatic question. I am not. I am asking you, as the apostle is, have you been quickened by his spirit? Have you got the spirit of God upon you? And in you, rather. Have you experienced that? Has the spirit of God led you into all truth? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Russell's dealing with this. We've dealt with it over the last two years in particular. The only way you're going to do that, friends, is if the... God of heaven gives his spirit to you and quickens you and makes you alive. Have you today had that? Or are we just a religious people who sing these great hymns and attend this lovely local church, a growing one? I'm not asking you those things. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Have you a personal relationship with him? Has the spirit of God so worked in you that, that you need no man to teach you. It's there, isn't it? 
again, and I am, again, as I always do, and I always find myself saying this, I'm running out of time. But another text that is grotesquely used. Well, you know, all those wanderers, they go from one fellowship to another, one house group to another. They don't need to be taught. And then they get this verse and they say it, don't you? Look, it's not what John is saying. What is being said there? What is being said? No, my, I can't teach you to know Christ. You don't need me to teach you to know Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. That is the anointing to which John the Apostle is dealing with. Wisdom of man cannot reveal Christ to you. It is a work of God. You don't need to be taught that. If you're a Christian today, if you belong to him today, you cannot be taught that. It is God who does that. That's what John is saying. Not that you can wander around and be a, be a, a, a lone ranger, and there's many of them today. Teach myself, so I'll go on YouTube, we'll download that, we'll, download that, we'll sit in, in on a Sunday morning on our pyjamas and listen to YouTube. Because I don't need any man to teach me. Wrong. You know these things. I trust that you do. So friends, as we prepare our hearts to partake in the Lord's Supper. I ask of you again. Do you know this Christ? Do you know? Do you know him? Do you today belong to him? If the answer is no in your heart, the answer is that I've been, I've been doing this Christian thing for, for years, but I'm not sure if I do. Oh, let not pride blind you. Let not hard-heartedness cause you to not come. But I would plead with you today, come to this saving Christ. Come to this saving gospel. Bow the knee now under grace. Believe me, you will bow the knee. And it will either be in grace or it will be in judgment. Bow the knee to this lovely Jesus. And if you do belong to him. If you do belong to him as somebody's prayed today. That we will continue to grow in grace. That we will move from one degree of glory to another. That it will be our daily, yes, daily. Endeavouring pursuit to know him. That we would be accountable one with another. That we will be a church that submits ourselves to the authority of the scriptures. Empowered and led by his spirit. I believe that is what this nation is really crying out for, friends. Christ-centered. Gospel preaching. And I finish with this. It is the power of God unto salvation. Amen.